Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I first started reporting on politics about nine years ago when I covered Parliament full time. Even though I had studied politics at university and I knew technically what the House of Lords was, much of their daily comings and goings struck me as completely alien once I had to cover them. I don't think I knew that ministers faced questions there every day. Why government defeats were more frequent there than in the Commons or what a motion to regret was. Unlike the Commons, which I also covered as part of my job, there seemed to be a lot more unguarded moments, frank criticism and flashes of downright weirdness. My name's Esther Webber and I'm the reporter for Red Box. And over the years, I've become slightly obsessed with understanding and explaining the House of Lords. And for some reason, in their infinite wisdom, the Times has decided to let me make a podcast all about it. So I've tracked down a few members of the House of Lords who are hopefully going to help me. As you will already know, Parliament is made up of the Commons and the Lords. You vote for your MP, they go into the Commons and they complain about a lot of stuff. When they're not complaining, they're helping to shape or oppose the government's legislation. And a major part of the Lords' job is to scrutinise and refine that legislation. It's a pretty important job and you wouldn't want to entrust it to any old random, so who gets to do it? The vast majority of peers are put forward and appointed by parties. As such, a lot of them are former MPs. Some of this particular breed of peer agreed to speak to me to guide me through who they are and what they do. I sat down with Lord Tyler, a Liberal Democrat who first entered the Commons in 1974 and went on to serve as Chief Whip of his party before going into the Lords in 2005. So between the Commons and the Lords, he spent a lot of time in Parliament and I asked him what it was like to make the transition 
from the green branches to the red. First and foremost, it's very easy to get completely overawed by the House of Lords. I mean, it's not just because of all the sort of gold and the red and all that stuff and calling people my lord this and my lord that, even if they're female, which is pretty crazy. And, and, you know, I remember the first absurdity that somebody said to me was um, the leader of the House, of course, was then a, a woman, and uh, so she held the title of Lord Privy Seal. Not a lord, not a privy, and not a seal. You know, you get to the point and you think, am I really taking a new role in Parliament as something that is entirely absurd? And then the next uh, few weeks you get to another point where you think, God, these are all terribly important and interesting people and the debates are so interesting. And then before you know where you are, if you're not careful, you start uh, to think that because they are very experienced people, they're actually... Their experience is up to date. Next up, I spoke to Lord Fowler, who was a Conservative MP for over 30 years and served in various ministerial positions under Margaret Thatcher, including Health Secretary and Employment Secretary. He went into the Lords in 2001 and in 2016 became Lord Speaker. He's going to explain later a bit more about the role of Speaker, but for now he's going to talk to us about some of his memories of first entering the Lords. It's an entirely different atmosphere. I mean, the Commons is uh, a confrontational chamber. I mean, it's organised like that and it certainly behaves like that. Um, And uh, that has all kinds of impacts. It means that in the main... Uh, in the tea room, Conservative MPs uh, have tea on one table, Labour MPs and Liberal Democrats. I mean, there's no, there wasn't, certainly in my time, there was no, uh, there was no mate, matiness of, uh, of that kind. I mean, not, not to say one didn't have friends uh, on the other side. It was organised as separate armies. And, you know, you can see it at Prime Minister's questions, you can see it at any question time, you can see it uh, in any debate, that sort of atmosphere. Now, you come to, when I came to the Lords in 2001, I mean, the first thing that is apparent is that it is not confrontational. Lest anyone accuse us of not being balanced, I also spoke to Angela Smith, better known as Baroness Smith of Basildon, who was a Labour MP and a minister under Gordon Brown before being given a peerage. She is now leader of the opposition in the Lords. I've always thought the transition from the Commons to Lords was a strange one because in many ways it's very similar. And it's similar enough to lull you into a false sense of complacency and comfort zone. And it's different enough so you can make a complete and utter idiot of yourself as well. And probably most of us do both. Um, It looks the same. The style of debate is very different in the Lords. I think the style of the debate in the Lords is generally less aggressive and confrontational. It's a bit more respectful. And I think it also gets into the area of looking at detail. Uh, We're not challenged so much. But you could feel, you know, if you said something completely outrageous, you would feel the disapproval um, coming to you. I was told you can get away with anything as long as you're polite, which is almost true, but you've got to know your stuff. 
So we've heard from a few former MPs, but this is not the only route into the upper chamber, and not all peers come from a parliamentary background. Take Natalie Evans, who previously ran an education think tank and was elevated by David Cameron to become Baroness Evans of Bode Park in 2014. She was then the youngest peer in the whole place and became leader of the Lords, effectively the Prime Minister's representative in the Lords, just two years later. Well, to be honest, it was quite a change. Um, Obviously, I had never been in frontline politics before I came here, although I've always been really interested in it and sort of worked a bit on the margins. Um, And I have to say, the call to come into the House of Lords isn't one that you expect well certainly I didn't expect it so it was quite a shock when I um, I got that phone call to ask me with David Cameron uh, to come in to the House of Lords Um, when I first joined the Lords obviously a lot of people here carry on with their jobs so I did so I carried on running New Schools Network which was a charity that helped people set up free schools and I was doing that and then came in here so I sort of had a dual life for a bit of time um, which actually a lot of people here do. Experts from a number of different walks of life can also enter the Lords through a non-political route to become cross-bench peers who are independent. One of these is the tech entrepreneur Martha Lane Fox, now Baroness Lane Fox of the Soho. And she explained to me how she went through the process of entering the Lords. Uh, Well, I have made the active decision to apply and then get interviewed to become a member of House of Lords, which puts me in the properly insane bracket. Um, as people may know, there's a cross-bench group which is politically independent. We don't get whipped, we don't get told what to do, uh, and they are added to every year by two, generally, I think it is, but that might vary, I think. And those people are called people's peers, and those are people's roles that I applied for, and it was you know, proper application form, references, two interviews, and then I was lucky enough to get offered a role. And I decided to do it because previously I had been in the e-commerce world. I'd started a business called lastminute.com back in the dawn of time. I then had worked a lot for two successive governments for Gordon Brown and then David Cameron looking at the digitization, if you like, of the UK. I had looked at digital inclusion and how people could be brought into the digital world who weren't in it. And then I looked at digital government and set up something called the Government Digital Service and we created gov.uk and tried to think about how to put modern technology as a route to delivering better public services. And through all that work, I had become really interested in policy making and wanted to try and use my voice to just uh, help our institutions and establishment realise that it's 2019, well, as it was then, 2015, not 1815. For the sake of completeness, I should also say there's another route into the Lords, and that is the hereditary peers by-election. It is perhaps one of the most bizarre features of British politics in what is by any standard a crowded field. When Tony Blair set about reforming the Lords in 1999, the bargain eventually struck was that the Lords would become a mostly appointed chamber 
with parties able to bestow life peerages on those considered worthy. But the House would retain 92 hereditary peers. It was only ever intended to be a transitional arrangement, but for as long as it continues to apply, the accepted hereditary peers will continue to be replaced through a system of by-elections. Apart from the two who hold the offices of Earl Marshall and Lord Great Chamberlain, but let's not go there. So when one of the hereditary peers dies or retires, only hereditary peers belonging to their party grouping may vote for their replacement. A Liberal Democrat hereditary is elected by other Liberal Democrat hereditaries, and so on. It can result in a peer being installed in the House for life by just five or six votes. Lord Bethel, who we'll speak to next, is the fifth Baron Bethel and had a career in communications before in 2018 entering and winning a hereditary peers by-election. That one was occasioned by the retirement of Lord Glentoran, a former British bobsledder. Of course, what else? I've been coming to the Lord since I was a child because I'm a hereditary peer and as a, as a young boy I sat on the steps of the throne with my father. So in some ways I feel very familiar and comfortable. On the other hand, the thing that has really struck me, which is kind of an obvious point, but I hadn't really hadn't really dawned on me, is the amount of focus there is on processing legislation. Of course, as a second chamber, the principal objective of the House of Lords is to review legislation. It's you know the job description is really clear, but I hadn't, I think, appreciated how much focus there was on amendments and revisions and on committee phases and the scrutiny, uh, line by line, word by word. Of, of the laws of the land. And that's rather refreshing because um, there isn't the same amount as showboating and so-called sort of representative gestures here. People really are um, focused on trying to get the best laws uh, out of the legislature. And that role as a reviewing chamber is taken really seriously. And, and I've had to buy folders with and a hole punch and dividers and fluorescent pens in a way that I haven't done since I left university. It's difficult to speak to anyone about their first impressions of the Lords without hearing them mention experts. And there are a lot of them in the House of Lords because they tend to be older than MPs with a range of careers behind them. And that can make for a daunting audience as Baroness Evans explains. Um, I remember, uh, obviously, I kind of involved myself in sort of education and things I knew, but I'm also a big sports fan, not in any professional way, just like watching it. So I thought, right, I'm going to speak in a sports debate and ended up, you know, with Tanny Gray-Thompson, Lord Trees, you know, all these people and sort of little me going, yes, I'm just a sports fan, but here I am, I'm going to say something anyway. And just, you know, that kind of experience is quite incredible because we're very lucky here to have such a range of talents and expertise. And it's just sort of making sure that you, you know, you get involved and you do things and you give your point of view um, because it's a great privilege to be able to do that. 
Baroness Lane Fox is one of those who's seen as bringing a particular field of expertise to the Lords, and she talks about how other experts have inspired her to bring that knowledge to the House. So there isn't a day that goes by that I don't have an interesting conversation with someone or that I don't feel kind of as though I've got to get on with stuff even though I'm only 46 and most people here are more like 66 because there is an energy and a purpose to a lot of people. I share my office with a woman called Baroness Meacher. Uh, Molly is extraordinary. She never seems to stop. I don't know. She could be 50. She could be 100. But she just carries on. She's campaigned a lot around tax credits, around cannabis legalisation. It's an illustration of the, the best of the Lords. key thing, particularly as a member of the crossbenches, is in, I hope if I'm here, I'm here because I can bring some outside expertise in. I'm here because I'm, I am 46 and I am actually still actively engaged in quite a lot of different businesses, charities, bits of you know, different public policy and so on. And I think that the advice that I've most taken to heart is advice which has basically said, don't feel guilty about that channel that confidence and bring it back into the organi- this, this building because um, it's by keeping connected into, in quotation marks, the real world that I hope you can do a better job here. So that, that's always what I have tried to have in my mind, just you know, be confident that if you have a, um, anxiety about not doing enough work here or not being credible or whatever it might be, try and channel the things that you've learned from the outside and bring it in. But when I chatted to Lord Tyler, he reminded me that expertise is not always a good thing in and of itself. And I remember fairly early on talking to Geoffrey Howe, who told me that with great enthusiasm that the House of Lords was a wonderful place because he'd come into the chamber and heard a relatively young member, only 50 or so, who he'd never seen before, probably hereditary, who turned out to be a former lighthouse keeper, expanding with great interest about lighthouses. And I said, two problems about that. Do we really want our legislators to be so expert they have no views about anything except what they have been doing in life? And second, I happen to know, as someone who had a constituency with a a long coastline, that not one single lighthouse in the country is manned any longer with all automatic. So all his expertise was out of date. So what I'm saying is it's very easy not to see just what's going on in this outfit. That actually, yes, it's good work is done, but you can, on two extremes, you can think it's all completely bonkers, mad, peculiar, beyond any sort of rational description. Or, on the other hand, you can jump to the other extreme and think, because it all sounds so good, everybody must be talking with great wisdom. I hope I'm in the middle. We should return briefly to Baroness Lane Fox, who has a story about how your own expertise can occasionally see you pigeonholed. Oh, but when I first came in, a lot of people did ask me about why their devices weren't working. Um, And the funny thing for me is that I am not a deep technical person. I ask the questions, but there is, to me, such an enormous difference between IT and digital. So now that we've met some of the cast members of the Lords and spent some time discussing lighthouses... What is it that they do all day? Every day in the Lords starts with four questions to the government, which can cover anything and everything. Over the years, I've sat through questions about littering, e-cigarettes, ferrets, Airbnb and Japanese knotweed. Japanese knotweed is always a popular one. 
but usually the questions are topical relating to subjects currently in the news and it's a chance for front and backbench peers to put questions directly to ministers and to kick up a fuss if they don't get the answers they want. Here's Labour's Baroness Smith again on how peers can use this tool to great effect. If somebody asks too long a question or tries to make a speech, it means other people aren't going to get their chance and you'll find people shout out, question, question, or give way and sort of muttering around the house then. And equally, if the minister speaks for too long in answering because that's them trying to avoid answering more questions, that house doesn't like that. I think when ministers give poor answers or try to evade answers at dispatch box, that gets people pretty riled. The worst answer I ever had from dispatch box, my minister, um, was when I asked why the government's putting forward legislation to reduce the number of uh, members of parliament to 600. What was the sort of rationale? What was the calculation that was done? And the answer I got was, it's a nice round figure. Given that the Lord that answered the question was pretty rotund itself, that caused a bit of a laugh. Um, but actually, people were pretty disgusted with that kind of answer. So that's what it's like to be asking the questions, but what about answering them? Here's the Lord's leader, Baroness Evans, on what it's like to be on the other side of the dispatch box. Um, it's a nerve-wracking experience, um, but, you know, it's a... it's. It is what it is. You can't. I don't think you ever get used to it. Um, and it's also the questions because you know when you're standing there, you've got leading experts in all these fields who are about to bombard you with questions, um, and you just have to do your best to give as straight an answer as you can. Because in the Lords, you know they want to know facts, and often they know more facts than you. Um, and you can't get away with waffle. You have to. You know you have to. Um, give them the, the information. So it, a lot of prep work, I have to say, goes into sort of before, you know, I do statements and everything else. I spend a lot of time trying to get my head around things because also the sort of odd thing for me is obviously I'm doing statements. The prime minister has been at these councils, has been at these meetings, has been at these summits where I haven't. And so, you know, you're having to sort of digest, but you know, in prep stuff, I will go and have prep meetings with her and so be able to talk to her about what she's been doing so that I can try and give as much information as I can, kind of both the context and obviously the sort of, you know, the actual information that I've got. Talking about questions, it's a good time to highlight that unlike the Commons, the Speaker does not referee proceedings in the House of Lords. It's known as a self-governing house. Peers decide among themselves whose turn it is to speak and also take it on themselves to tell each other off when they're breaking the rules or doing something wrong. The most terrifying example of this is probably during question time when if a peer is deemed to go off on a tangent during their question, you can hear other peers around them shouting, Too long! So who better to talk us through the role of the Speaker than the man currently doing the job, Lord Fowler? As long as the business is being conducted uh, sensibly and well and reasonably speedily, 
you don't get the kind of arguments that you do in the House of Commons. We've just changed the procedure here in the House of Lords in as much as I now call first questioner, for example, I'll say Lord, Lord Brown, and he'll ask the questions and then I will intervene after the time has come up and then I'll intervene again. We certainly guide the House of Lords in, in that way, but in any event, it's not a place where you have great uh, confrontations. I'm not saying at times, obviously, if you have a system uh, which depends upon members cooperating and consenting and you've only got a short space of time to go before that particular question comes to an end and three members stand at the same time, there can be uh, a certain amount of argument between them uh, on that. But that should be uh, handled if there are difficulties uh, by, by, by the whips doesn't always happen but in the main it works extremely well and to get away from the idea of a self-regulating house I think that would be a very retrograde step and I'm sure if the commons could do it in that way they would do it but I mean it's not practical politics but it is here and we should preserve it. And so what is it that you do uh, and what is the role of the Lord Speaker? I think the role of the Lord Speaker is first in the House. As I explained, I call questions, the first questions, progress that, and then I progress uh, the business, basically, I and my uh, deputies, throughout the day. So uh, the uh, business is transmitted as fairly and as sensibly as it uh, possibly can be. But then there is a vast amount of work off uh, the um, off the floor of the House. I'm also chairman of the House of Lords Commission. Yesterday, we had a meeting of the House of Lords Commission here, and we tra- we uh, discussed the Ellen Bogan report on harassment and uh, bullying. And it is then up to the uh, for the commission to respond to that. We set up uh, the report in the first place. We now respond uh, uh, to that. And a whole range of those, reducing the house or the size of the house. Again, it was an initiative uh, which came uh, from me here as uh, Lord Speaker. Um, so there is a whole range of things that we are doing which aren't necessarily done in the same way uh, in the uh, House of Commons. In a moment, we're going to hear about how the Lords shape our legislation. But first, a quick break. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back, I'm Esther Webber and this is our Introduction to the House of Lords special edition of the Redbox podcast. So when question time in all its rowdy glory is over, Piers gets started on the main course, which is usually scrutinising and debating legislation. When it comes to looking at legislation, the Lib Dem peer Lord Tyler has a useful summary of how they see their role. We think our job, on behalf of the public, is to look really carefully at the small print. We are, as it were, the nation's small print readers. Uh, those who uh, cheerfully sign all sorts of things, never looking at the small print, uh, frankly, at the other end of the, of the their Houses of Parliament. Our job is to try and make sure that everybody knows what is being decided. Now, I might be biased, but I always think that the legislative process in the Lords is a lot more exciting than that in the Commons. Because when peers do come across something in the small print which they disagree with, they have far more scope to kick up a fuss and force changes than the MPs do. This is partly because there's no government majority in the Lords, but also because of the presence of the crossbenchers, who can vote as they choose, and looser whipping arrangements in general. When the government suffers a defeat in the Lords, as it often does, That is not the last word. It doesn't necessarily mean what the Lords say goes. But the relevant amendment or change they have asked for will be sent back to the Commons for MPs to overturn or approve. It will pass back and forth between the two houses in a process known as ping-pong until an eventual position is ironed out. For this reason, the Lord's role in legislating is sometimes described as the power to ask MPs to think again. A bit like several hundred people tapping you on the shoulder and asking, did you really want to do that? Baroness Smith, Labour's leader in the Lords, explains a bit more about how the opposition pushes for concessions on bills before the House. 
as, as an opposition, we could win every vote every day if we wanted. So we had to say, hang on, where are the issues we want to pick and choose, want to fight on, that we can send to the Commons for them to look at? But the government found that difficult as well. And I don't think at first they handled it very well at all. That's really interesting. So obviously being a whip and now as leader, what's the kind of thinking that goes into kind of how, how are we going to challenge the government and where is it best to concentrate our efforts? Yeah, and there is a lot of discussion goes on on those issues. There is no point in us winning votes all day, every day, sending them back to the Commons and the Commons rejecting them. And the government that's elected is entitled to get its programme through. So we tend to look at the fine print, the detailed implementation of policies. We will work cross-party on that. Whenever possible, we will try and get the government to give us a concession. We'll talk to the government and we'll say, this is the amendment we're putting forward, it will go on the order paper. And quite often the government will say, we're not supporting it now, but pick it up later on. And at a later stage, bring it back as their amendment. We get the change we want. But a lot of it, I think, is predicated, A, on the policy detail. Is what they're doing really um, the right thing to do or should we challenge? The power of the Lords to disagree with government policy and send it back for review has been put in a particular spotlight by the EU referendum. There is a majority of Remain-inclined peers in the Lords, and they have inflicted a series of defeats on key Brexit legislation. Lords leader Baroness Evans explains what it was like piloting the EU withdrawal bill through these hostile waters. You know, on the withdrawal bill, I think, we had hours now, you know, we did days, you'll probably remember, we did two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning sittings, all those sorts of things. But it's right, we, you know, these are incredibly critical times, so you have to pay attention to the detail, discuss. Um, I took through some of the elements of the withdrawal bill, um, but obviously a lot also happens behind the scenes in terms of talking to peers, talking to the other parties about how we can come to a compromise, how we can bring our positions together in order to amend the bill in a, in a better way. And obviously, particularly because of the numbers in the Commons, there's been, I do a lot of work actually with my Commons counterparts because changes up in the Lords now, the Commons don't necessarily have the majority to overturn what we do so we have to also talk about if we do this can you change it no okay so how can we make sure that what we do is something that the commons can live with so actually there's bit there's a lot of dialogue not just within for us within the house of lords and all the people we're working with but actually i do a lot of work with my commons colleagues as well um because with the numbers there's a, a new dynamic i guess between the two houses with the numbers if there's opposition against you and particularly if sort of Labour and the Liberals are coming together and obviously particularly on some of the EU stuff there were amendments where there was Labour, Liberal, crossbench and somebody from our benches that's a kind of telltale sign that you're probably a bit in a bit of trouble up here we know with that kind of coalition so um, we kind of I think most of the time you sort of knew where the battles were coming um, you do your best to argue um, you do your best to put your case forward um, and, you know, working with people who have a different view in order to see if you can come to some compromise. Um, but obviously on quite a number of those, I think we I think we had about 16 in the first. I think we lost about 16 votes on report stage or up to that on the withdrawal bill. Peers who are not on the government or official opposition benches 
also have the opportunity to try to pass legislation on things they feel passionately about, as Lord Tyler explains. Well, we did try very hard at various stages to extend the voting range down to 16 and 17-year-olds, to extend the franchise. And we did it on the basis, not of theory, but of practical example, because this had been achieved in Scotland for the independence referendum. And uh, 16 and 17-year-olds proved to be very assiduous, very careful in debating the issues, often, of course, within a school environment, easier than when you go off to uni or go off to to a a new job or to any further education. Um, And they proved to be both extremely uh, conscientious citizens and then had voted very carefully. And we thought on the basis of that, and it was a cross-party, Uh, in the Lords, that we should extend that uh, uh, to 16 and 17 year olds for the EU referendum. Particularly since that was going to be in a similar way um, a a, a vote which could have implications for much longer for 16 and 17 year olds than for 60 and 70 year olds. Newer peers will often want to spend some time hanging back and observing before they try their hand at legislation. And that's what Lord Bethel has done. I spent the year trying to figure out how to make an impact. And um, it's really tough, you know, to, to, to really be able to move the needle on legislation, to take a stand, to fight stuff, is, is very difficult because you've got a hell of a lot of people who know a lot about every single subject. And to come up with something distinctive and thoughtful is very difficult but um, the platform is here and the system is designed to try and make it easier for you on um, Monday I'll be moving amendments on the restoration bill for instance to try and bring uh, a much greater emphasis on public presence and education in the restoration project it's been exciting talking to peers from other parties trying to garner support for those And it's also exciting talking to the minister and listening to the minister being very sweet and kind about my bright ideas and hopefully uh, taking them on board. I also moved an amendment um, on treason to try and bring back a treason law. Um, And that was a good example of where uh, the House of Lords can be a place where um, big constitutional ideas have flown. Uh, And we didn't get it through on that occasion, but the debate has been remembered and the ideas around uh, bringing uh, treason law back um, are gaining momentum. Yeah. And I hope uh, we'll, bring, you know, we'll, we'll have another opportunity to move an amendment. And just to add an extra layer of excitement to the crafting of laws in the Lords, the government does not get to dictate the timetable as they would in the Commons. Peers will sit for as long as it takes to get the job done sometimes going late into the night on controversial bits of business. Here's Baroness Smith again. I think it's been difficult for some time. Um, Stressful is not what I'd say, because I think if you think you're doing the right thing, you just work through. The volume of work has been quite stressful for a number of people. But ever since I became leader, um, we've been under pressure from the government. And I always put it... The Lords knows its place. We know we're not the dominant house, we're the second chamber. Um, We know they're the unelected chamber, we have to defer to the primary elected chamber. That's entirely right and we accept that. 
What I find difficult is the government sees any challenge as somehow a constitutional outrage. So how do peers keep going into the wee small hours? We've heard stories of campaigns being laid on for late night votes. And as for sustenance, Baroness Evans lets us in on a secret. I have had takeaways in here. I, yeah. I, have, I don't think I had late night naps. Um, but uh, yes, there were some very long days, I'll give you that. Um, but we certainly have had takeaways in here, yes. I, I hold my hand up to that. What kind was it? A Chinese. Pizza? <laughs> okay, Chinese club, not pizza. <laughs> no, I haven't had pizza in here actually, but I might do that. And that's about it for our introduction to the Lords. Look out later in the week for part two, when I'll be asking what the future holds in store for them. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.